Hello and welcome to another episode of Chilling with Charlie. Today I have with me Chief Analytics. So you might have seen his content on Twitter recently. So if you're like me and interested in just how he's gone about learning all this cool stuff, how NFL Scraper has played a really important role and how other leaders in the analytics space with NFL have played an important role, stay tuned. Thank you. Running a podcast costs money. Chilling with Charlie is proudly sponsored by Betfair Australia. Betfair operates a betting exchange and is licensed in the Northern Territory of Australia. They are not a bookmaker and you can see how they champion data modelling by checking out bit.ly forward slash betfaircharlie, gamble responsibly. Thank you for joining me today, Ethan. To begin with, why don't you just tell us a bit about your background and how it is you became into NFL analytics and specifically with the Chiefs? Yeah, so I think I come from a little different background than a lot of people in the analytics community. I haven't read Moneyball, so that right there kind of puts me apart from the majority of people I feel like that analyze sports data. I actually more came at this from a sports science background. So I've always been really interested in sports and, and my undergrad degree was in exercise science. I got involved pretty heavily with undergraduate research, looking at biomechanics in sports. Ended up going to grad school. I got a master's degree in engineering, doing similar research. And what I realized through that is I actually more like analyzing the data that I was doing um, and collecting in my research than I did the actual data collections. There was one project that a colleague was working on that wasn't related to sports. That was just analyzing a big data set. And I almost found it unfair that my colleague could just sit there and ask research questions and get their answers within within a matter of weeks looking at this data um, and not have to mess with institutional review board approval and collecting and, and recruiting participants and all the data was there for them to ask all the interesting questions they wanted. And so I, I took that realization and, and combined that with my interest in sports and started looking for ways to analyze sports data in the same way. Okay, so what about the Chiefs, why create a separate Twitter account? Can you tell us a bit more about that journey? So the Chiefs, I grew up in Kansas City, which is the, the home of the Chiefs. I grew up on a suburb in a suburb on the Kansas side. But for those who don't know, Kansas City is actually a, a city in two states. So there's Kansas City, Kansas and Kansas City, Missouri. I grew up on in a suburb in the Kansas side, but very passionate Chiefs fan since I can remember watching sports. The NFL has always been my favorite sport to watch. And I grew up watching Chiefs games with my dad. And in about April or May, I started following Ben Baldwin on Twitter. I think I came across him because I noticed Seth Kaiser, who covers the Chiefs for The Athletic, which is a guy and account I follow. He's an awesome film analyst. He goes into really in-depth technical breakdowns of the film for the Chiefs. And I noticed he was interacting with Ben Baldwin from The Athletic on Twitter. And then I saw Ben was putting out a lot of cool analytical stuff. And then sometime maybe in, in June or July, I saw Ben Baldwin post a tutorial to analyze this data in R. And then I don't work in R, I work in Python. But I found his tutorial and went through it and, and realized, oh, this data is available. Um, that's when I discovered NFL Scrape R um, that Ron Yurko and, and company created. And 
I realized that this this stuff was available and wasn't that hard to access and wasn't that hard to clean and to deal with. And then basically spent a month reading his tweets. I found Josh Hermsmeyer from 538, Ron Yurko, of course, and noticed a lot of team-centered accounts started to pop up. And I think the main one I saw was Brown Analytics account at first. And there was Steeler Stats, I believe, and, and a few others. And I realized, you know, if, if they're doing this and it's really cool work, I don't, I don't see why I can't do this with the Chiefs as well. Tell us about your first post. What were they about? It's a good question. So, I, oh, okay, my first posts were comparing Alex Smith to Patrick Mahomes. It's something that I've always wanted to look into because a lot of Chiefs fans feel very passionately about the issue. Alex Smith was the Chiefs quarterback for a few years as we got Andy Reid, our head coach. and he took the Chiefs from a disaster every year into a competent playoff contending team. But there were a lot of fans that felt he was a pretty conservative quarterback and, and didn't throw the ball deep down the field and take shots. And that led to us not being able to come back from wall behind in games. And then, of course, we got Patrick Mahomes, our quarterback now, who is kind of the opposite. And so I compared that looking at average depth of target and in their efficiencies and, and things like that. Tell us about your writing for Arrowhead Prides. You've written a few articles, so you've covered their week four games against the Lions and their recent two losses. Can you tell us a bit about how you go about thinking about, okay, well, what am I going to write about? How do I analyze the game? Yeah, so first of all, I, I watch the games. I know a lot of people on Twitter like to make fun of the, the nerds for watching the games on spreadsheets, but... I do watch all the football games that I can. I always have the Chiefs game on and then uh, NFL Red Zone as well to watch as many as much action as possible. And so while I'm watching the game, I'm, I'm already kind of thinking of interesting things I want to look at. And, and I'll be honest, it isn't so much as what do I think other people will find interesting, but it's just what questions do I have that, that I want to answer and want to dig into. I don't, I don't take notes or anything, but I, I just watch the game and uh, afterwards pull up my my uh, Python notebook. And I'm, at this point, I already kind of have a template of going through and, and analyzing each Chiefs game after it happens. Um, so there are a few things that I look at each time. I look at the quarterback performance and Patrick Mahomes' average depth of target. Um, I look at the running game and, and the different run gap locations and the efficiencies there. Um, and then I try to find a few interesting tidbits to go along with it. I know one of the weeks I looked at Patrick Mahomes' performance on fourth down and how he's averaging twice as many expected points added on fourth down as any other QB in the league over the past decade. So let's talk about the week four article, Chase versus the Lions. So when you were watching that, what stuck out that made you want to write the article that you did? The first thing that stuck out to me was just how back and forth the game was. I know that it felt like at times we had the game slipping out of reach, we being the Kansas City Chiefs. And at other times it felt like there was a good chance that the Chiefs would win and pull it off. And those feelings kept flipping back and forth way too frequently for comfort. And so the most interesting thing to me was looking at the win probability chart, which backed up that back and forth feelings I was having, and I know a lot of fans were having watching the game. Um, I think there was a, a flip in win probability a 
across the 50% line, maybe like eight or nine times throughout the game. And so that was really interesting to see. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to look at uh, was, again, just looking at Patrick Mahomes' performance. Despite the Chiefs winning the game, he actually didn't have the best game. I noticed that watching, he wasn't completing passes downfield that he normally does. He ended up not completing a single pass over 20 yards, which is the first time in the regular season in his career that that's happened. And so I went ahead and looked at that and I compared his week four performance to his first few weeks, uh, weeks one through three, made a little chart and showed that he's kind of regressed a little bit in in week four. And a lot of people over the offseason were talking about how Patrick Mahomes could and should regress because his performance, you know, is so far away from the mean. Um, and, And we're starting to see that a little bit now. I guess that theme would have continued into the next article dealing with the Chiefs loss to the Colts and hopefully another article coming out soon to deal with their most uh, recent game. Yeah, so it's it's submitted to my editor and I'm sure it'll be posted sometime today. I, I don't control exactly when they go out. I just submit them and then the Airhead Pride editors figure out the best time to post all the different articles we're writing on there, but it'll be out sometime today, I'm sure. So what is going on with Patty Mahomes and the Chiefs the past two weeks? So two losses in a row. So a lot's going on and not a lot of it good. I think the first thing is just injuries. Uh, The team really took a lot of injuries and suffered a lot of injuries against the Colts. Our starting left tackle, Eric Fisher, has been out since week two. And his backup, Cam Irving, had been playing decently or at least had not caused any huge breakdowns in the offensive line but that changed against the Colts and then in the Colts game as well our our starting left guard got injured and so we're putting two backups on the offensive line and that's given Patrick Mahomes a lot less protection and and he's got a lot less trust it seems in his protection he did and then he's gotten injured so he hurt his ankle in week one and that got re-aggravated against the Colts. And so his mobility has been limited. That's absolutely affected his performance. And then the Chiefs, number one and number two wide receivers, Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins, they suffered injuries as well the past few weeks. And Tyreek Hill just came back last game and that did help the offense be a little bit more efficient. But Sammy Watkins, their wide receiver two, is still out. And so all those injuries are certainly piling up on the offensive side. And then on the defensive side, there have been some injuries as well. The Chiefs' number one defensive player across the board, uh, defensive tackle Chris Jones, was injured against the Colts. And so you know, I think the, the biggest thing happening is just the team's not healthy, um, and that's shown some weakness in the depth they've had. Cool. So going into this week's game on a short turnaround, do you think many of the players you talked about will be coming back? I don't. There is talk recently, a couple players practice in a a limited capacity on Monday. But with the Thursday game, uh, I don't see many players able to recover and get healthy. In fact, an injury I didn't mention, our our top uh, cornerback in the secondary, Kendall Fuller, it just came out this morning that he potentially fractured, has a fracture in his hand. And so that will likely have him out for a while. So the Chiefs could be in for a rough, rough stretch of games. Um, I think fans might need to lower their expectations. I think that the Chiefs fan base was quite spoiled last year and that 
everything went well. We had very few injuries and, and our quarterback played at, at one of the highest levels of any quarterback ever. And we won a lot of games and I think we can still be a great team this year, but fans might need to lower their expectations in the win totals with, with these injuries piling up now. So I've noticed on Twitter, one of your pinned tweets is on a primer on why you're using expected points added. Are you able to talk a bit more about that? So how it is you came to deciding to use expected points added? What other metrics did you think also entered your mind into consideration? And going forward, how do you think expected points added or what do you think the next metric might be? Yeah, so I I came at this from a place of complete naivety and um, ignorance. So I had, as I mentioned, I I didn't read Moneyball. I've seen the movie with Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill and enjoyed it, but I I don't have a sports analytics background. And so when I started getting into this stuff, I, again, was following Ben Baldwin, Josh Hermsmeyer, Ron Yurko, and I think Ron's own NFL Scrape Bar account, um, where he retweets a lot of the different team accounts and stuff they're working on. And so I, I started seeing this expected points added metric. Uh, and at first, I actually, I didn't know what it meant. And, and reading more and more what they were putting out, going through it and reading the paper that uh, Ron Yurko and, and his team at Carnegie Mellon published on the NFL Scrapar model and, and the, the EPA and the WPA, the win probability added model that they created. Uh, and, I, and I started to realize that this is an awesome metric to, to capture a lot of things that people say football analytics and sports analytics don't capture, which is the context that the play is happening in. And so I, I've always had a huge frustration with box scores and TV media pundits and analysts growing up watching the game. Um, it, it's never sit well with me when, when I've heard uh, an analyst say, you know, this running back ran for over 100 yards, and so the team won. Or if, if this running back gets 20 carries, the team wins 19 of their past 20 games or something like that. Um, I've never really liked volume stats. Going back to when I was a kid, it just never made sense to me because it, it seemed intuitive. Of course, the team's winning. They're trying to run the clock out. They'll hand the ball off, and so they're going to get a lot of volume that way. And so I came across expected points added is, is from the NFL scrape our data and it's already pre-calculated Ron's tool that him and his team created goes ahead and, and populates that for you. And so it's been pretty easy to use and analyze specifically that Twitter thread you're talking about. I realized that a lot of people that know sports analytics are using EPA expected points added, but maybe not spending that much time explaining to the people they're tweeting to why they're using it. A lot of people, that's, that's not a big issue. They see, oh, these people are, are smart. They're economists. This, this must be a good metric. But I figured if I'm going to be doing this for your average football fan and trying to reach Chiefs fans, that might not be analytically minded, but maybe like seeing a different way of looking at the game. I thought I'd go ahead and break down why it's important to use this stat. And so the reason it's important to use this stat is, as I mentioned, first of all, volume stats just don't capture what's really driving success in a football game. They're based on opportunity. Correlation is not causation. So just because a player gets a lot of carries, they're going to have a lot of yards, but it doesn't mean that it caused the team to win. And so expected points added is essentially looking at how likely a team is to score before a play was ran and after a play was ran. What we can do then is say, if a team put themselves in a better place 
after they ran a play. So if it was a first down and they ran for seven yards, if that made them more likely to score, looking at historical data over the past 10 years, and if that put a team in a better chance to score, then they added expected points on that play. What do you think are some of the flaws with expected points added or what's another way we can bring in context around what's going on in an NFL game that maybe expected points added doesn't quite capture? Yeah, so expected points added is definitely not perfect. No metric is. You know, there's, of course, you're saying no, no models are accurate, um, but some are useful. And I think expected points is definitely a useful model. The flaws that it has are, are one that it doesn't assign credit. So you have for the entire offense before and after a play, how likely the team is to score. But just using expected points, you can assign credit to who caused that change in expected points before and after the play. So if a quarterback makes a pass to a wide receiver and the wide receiver breaks a tackle and gains 80 yards after the catch, just looking at expected points, we don't know, should we give all of those expected points added to the quarterback or to the wide receiver? So it's a really useful tool for evaluating how efficient and how productive, how successful an offense is being, but it doesn't become useful when it comes to looking at individual player performance and who on the team is driving that success. So tell us about, you've been doing some tweets recently about your big data bowl entry. Uh, Are you able to tell us a bit more about, for those who might not know, what is the big data bowl? What's the challenge? And how have you gone approaching the problem? So the big data bowl is a competition that the NFL put out. It started just about a week ago. And and Mike Lopez, um, you should follow him on Twitter, stats by Lopez. and. He's the head of data and analytics for the NFL. He's a, got a heavy statistics background. He's a statistics professor. And, you know, I don't want to speak for him here, but, but I, I believe this was his, his brainchild. And he wanted to get out this tracking data that the NFL has into the hands of the public so that they could do some really cool research and both help the team and giving the team's ideas and, and how to look at this tracking data. And then also help the people doing the analysis publicly because in last year's Big Data Bowl, so this is the second Big Data Bowl, 11 of the people that ended up submitting entrance to the competition ended up getting hired by NFL teams. This year, the Big Data Bowl, it's got a defined scope, and it is to predict how many yards a running back will gain given the tracking data at the time of handoff. So there's RFID tags in the player's shoulder pads, and and those track the player's location on the field. And the data set we have is 12 rows for every play. And I, I believe it's all run plays of the 2017 NFL season. And the 12 rows correspond with the 12 players on the field. And we have their X and Y coordinates. And then we have a few other features that have been derived for us, like defenders in the box, time at handoff, time at snap, and a few other things like that. But the catch is we only have one frame or one flash of data, one one capture of data per play. And it's when the ball is handed off to the running back. And so given all that data, our job is to predict how many yards that running back will gain. The interesting thing that they've done, and hats off to Mike Lopez and his team for coming up with this for this competition, 
is they've made it a Kaggle competition. And so Kaggle is a site that hosts public machine learning and predictive modeling competitions. This makes the, the judging of the NFL Big Data Bowl completely objective and quantified. So last year, teams submitted interesting research questions, and then a panel of judges judged how interesting they were, how well they answered those questions. But this year, it's, it's a public leaderboard. It's all completely quantified. And your goal is just to minimize the error in, in your model and predicting the yards that the team will gain. Um, and I should note that what you submit isn't a point estimate. So you don't submit, I think the running back is going to gain three yards here, but you submit a cumulative density function. So you have the probability from yards negative 99, if the play were to go negative 99 yards, and then 100 yards um, or 99 yards. And you, and you have the cumulative probability for each of those. And that's what you submit as your submission to the competition. So tell us about how you've gone thinking about your entry specifically or without giving away too much, what can you talk about? Yeah, absolutely. So one thing I think that is, is really interesting is just going through and visualizing the data. I noticed that, first of all, the yard distribution is not normal. So it's a, it's a right skewed distribution and so a right tail distribution. And that's because there's only a few plays that go for negative yards and they don't go for that many negative yards. You'll never see a negative 66 yard run, or at least it'd be incredibly unlikely and would involve a fumble and a fumble recovery. Whereas you do have those outliers to the right side of the distribution where you have those 40 yard, 50 yard, 60 yard runs. And so because of that, it's, it's not a normal distribution. And I wanted to see just initially off the bat, if I just did a kernel density estimate, of the underlying probability distribution, just looking at the 2017 yards data. So our goal is to predict from 2019 runs, our test set, so the the data that we're taking our model and and then making predictions on and how we're being evaluated is actually from 2019 season, this season. But all I did is I just took a kernel density estimate, which is a way to get the probability distribution of a set of data. doesn't assume that the data is normal. And I just looked at all the 2017 runs and I just did a kernel density estimate of the yards game. And I wanted to see how well does that do if I just take that exact estimate and just plug it in as my submission. So I'm not taking anything specific from the 2019 data and doing any prediction on it. I literally just submitted this exact same prediction for every single run, which was the that it would have the same probability as all the runs did in 2017. And that actually did pretty well. My first submission was second on the leaderboard. And now granted, this was in the first 24 hours. There was only about 50 submissions so far. But a lot of those submissions were really complex. So some people put their code publicly when they submit. And there were all these random forests and neural network uh, machine learning models on there that took into account all these factors. And they weren't doing as well as the, the code I wrote in about 10 minutes with few lines of code. And I think a lot of that is that people, A, working on this might not have the, the domain knowledge of what's important in football. And so they might be looking at a lot of features like we were given wind speed, humidity, temperature, um, and might just be throwing all those features into a model and spending a lot of time and computation power on features that might not be important. But B, I think a lot of people are assuming the data is normal and their models are making assumptions that the data is normally distributed and that's causing them to have a lot of error. So I found it really interesting that with just really simply looking at the distribution of yards 
from 2017, we could get a, a decent estimate of where those runs would take place in 2019 as well. That point you raise towards the end about a lot of people maybe without football knowledge are generating like a lot of features from this data set when a lot of these features might not be important. You sort of feel as though being a lifelong football fan, that gives you a bit of an edge? Yeah, and I don't know if it, being a lifelong football fan um, gives me an edge. It's more following and being in tune with the analytics community on on Twitter and the NFL. So. I think if if I had never started following, you know, again, the, the Josh Hermsmeyer, the, the Ben Baldwin, Lee Sharps, another guy who's, who's really bright and, and puts out some great stuff. And, and there's a lot I'm missing on here. And I, I would have just assumed that what was most important is who the running back was, I think. I know coming in to sports analytics for the first time, I, I thought running backs mattered and that how talented a running back was, was probably going to be the biggest driver here. And it turns out that's not really the case. A lot of people have found earlier the most important predictor in how far a run will go or how many yards a run will gain is how many defenders are in the box. So essentially that means how many defenders are are crowding the line of scrimmage or not back in the secondary. And so your defensive line and your linebackers and that that's more important than, than almost any other feature that people have analyzed before in predicting how far a run will go. And so that bit of information has helped me a lot and has I've now incorporated that into my model. And again, I've, I haven't spent much time doing anything complicated yet. I still think I'm doing it decently in the, in the top 10% or so, but the real edge is going to come in doing some more in-depth spatial analyses. So again, we, we have the tracking data and we have the positions of players at the time of handoff. But what most accounts I've seen do so far, at least the ones that have posted their notebooks publicly, is they just work with the features they're given and they might derive a few things. So we're given the time at snap and the time at handoff. Some people derive the delta there, the difference in the the time at snap and handoff. Some people have derived a few other things, but the real gain I think here and the real value add and the way to get an edge is going to be doing an analysis of, of the the spacing and all the players on the field. So driving a lot of features from where the, the line is lined up, where the linebackers are, how much space between the running back and the, the defenders are there when he gets the handoff, who's controlling the zone. So there's a lot of really cool work done looking at soccer data. And, and I believe some of this has been done with the NFL as well, but primarily in, in soccer data, there's been a lot of work done with zone control. And essentially that's looking at on the pitch or on the soccer field, based on where the offense is, um, can we kind of quantify who's controlling certain zones of the of the field? And so doing that kind of analysis here with the football data um, is where I think teams are going to start shining and start pulling away from the pack. Something you talk quite a bit about is you're not originally from like an analytics background, but obviously you do put out some good analytical content and your Twitter accounts going pretty well. So what advice would you give to say other people who are maybe like yourself at the beginning of the year who just want to get into football analytics, maybe for their team or maybe just do NFL content in general? Yeah. um, So first of all, you know, the the account 
has been going pretty well. And I've, I've been shocked actually at a lot of the positive reception I've gotten. Um, but I, I, it's a lot of it is because of the amazing NFL analytics community. So, you know, just, I noticed last night past my bedtime, cause I'm, I'm on the East coast and, uh, Josh Hermsmeyer at Fire 38 gave a shout out and called out my account is one to follow. And a lot of different people have done that throughout the process is, is since I started this account. And that's really, really helped it grow. And there were a few Chiefs writers. Uh, again, Seth Kaiser, the guy I mentioned earlier, he writes for The Athletic. He really early found my account and retweeted it and, and told Chiefs fans to follow it. So I just wanted to take the time to thank everyone who, who's been so gracious and, and so great with promoting my stuff, but also each other's stuff. And I think the NFL analytics community is really awesome and really strong on Twitter. So that goes, transitions into my piece of advice for people, which is just start, just start analyzing data and and start throwing yourself out there in the conversation and on Twitter. I don't come from a traditional analytics and economics and statistics background, but I do have you know a quantitative background. I did get a master's degree in engineering I've done a lot of research, um, you know, published papers. Um, so I did have, you know, three, four statistics classes. You know, I know about correlation is not causation. I know about causality and, I, and I'm decent with numbers. So this advice is more to people that, that have a handle on numbers. They understand statistics. You know, they might not understand the math behind a generalized additive model, but they get the overarching point in making inferences from data. I mean, if that's the case, just start analyzing this data um, and putting it out there on Twitter and not being afraid to put yourself in the conversation. I think one thing that's helped me a lot is I've reached out to Ben Baldwin. I've reached out to uh, Josh Hermsmeyer and I just asked them questions on Twitter and they might be dumb questions, especially early on. They were questions that I'm sure a lot of people in this space knew the answer to, but that just really helped me grow and, and it really helped speed up my learning and so I think that's the biggest advice to have is just don't, don't be afraid to look stupid and don't be worried that because you don't know everything, you can't get started. Just start diving into data, find the question you find interesting and try to answer it. And you might not do the best job of it at first. And I've put a lot of things out that I realized 20 minutes later, I forgot to control for something like field position or kind of factor like that. And that's something I still forget to do sometimes. But the community on Twitter has been really, really awesome around this. And it's probably been the best part about doing this is interacting with those people and learning from them every single day. So what has been your favorite Twitter post you've done? Hmm, okay. So this is a, it's not actually a, a, a good analytical post at all. It was kind of a joke post, but it, it made me laugh a lot and it got a lot of attention. And I think people liked it is I did one post that looked at Patrick Mahomes' performance as a function of his team's win probability. And so essentially looking at, you know, how well and how efficient does he play when his team is trailing, when his team has a 50% win probability and what have you. And I compared that to the NFL average. And because Patrick Mahomes has only been in a, tr- a heavily trailing situation, like under 10 win prob- under 10% win probability a few times in his career so far, that curve was pretty drastically higher than the NFL average. And so it looked like he's just been absolutely lights out when trailing, which is true, but you know, it's an incredibly small sample size, like five dropbacks and wasn't really fair to draw conclusions from. Um, so I just posted that chart on Twitter and, you know, didn't make any strong conclusions of it. 
Uh, there was a Cowboy Stats is another account that's been really awesome and really helpful. And they posted something similar with Dak Prescott. And so I just wanted to show what Mahomes had done. And a lot of people in the analytics community pointed out, um, it's just noise. You know, it's just a small sample size. You can't draw any conclusions from that. So kind of going off that, I then followed up with a bar chart that showed that Patrick Mahomes was the greatest left-handed QB of all time because he completed one of one left-handed passes last year. Um, and I compared that to Steve Young, who is you know a Hall of Fame quarterback and, and he was left-handed and he had something like a 67% completion probability or percentage over his career. And then Tom Brady has not completed a left-handed pass past the line of scrimmage. So I just did a bar chart comparing those three and said something like, Haters will say this is just noise, but Patrick Mahomes, Mahomes is the greatest left-handed QB of all time. And, and I found that funny and got a good chuckle out of it and may have bothered some of the more traditional analytically-minded people in the community. But I'd say that's my favorite post. Do you think if the Chiefs keep going like you were saying and this year might be a bit of a struggle, maybe that argument would go away that it is a lot of noise? Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. And it'll be interesting to see if that trend holds true. I definitely think already this season, and I haven't re-looked at that analysis since the past few games, but there have been a lot more trailing situations and a lot more situations where the win probability has been low. So we'll definitely see an increased sample size there. And it'll be really interesting to look at to see if if that trend holds true and, and if it isn't wasn't just noise. You're obviously very into football analytics if you were to just say, typically during a day, where are your go-tos to like read? So if someone posts something or writes something, you just read it straight away. So I read anything that, again, I keep saying these names and there are a lot of great people putting out a lot of great stuff. But these, these are the guys that are kind of at the forefront and in, in, at least from what I've seen and what I read, putting out the, the most in-depth and best stuff. But Anything Ben Baldwin puts out on The Athletic, I read immediately, or anything he tweets, to be honest. Uh, anything 538 or Josh Hermsmeyer puts out, I'm immediately reading. And then a lot of the pro football focus guys, PFF Moo is the, is the Twitter account, and he puts out some really cool stuff, some, some route heat maps, looking at wide receiver routes. And he recently had a look at, at Mahomes' depth of targets and, and just across the NFL quarterbacks in general. And he puts out a lot of awesome stuff. I'll read anything that he puts out. Eric Eager, Kevin Cole, those are a couple other pro football focused guys that I try to make sure I read all the stuff they put out. Um, but then I actually also, I try to pay attention to and, and read and consume some film analysis. And so, you know, I don't want to be in the echo chamber of NFL analytics Twitter, and it can be a bit of an echo chamber sometimes. And so uh, Brian Baldinger is a guy on Twitter who breaks down a lot of film, and I think he does it really well. At All22 is another account. Someone named Betts, or at least that's what they go by on Twitter, breaks down some, some really cool and really in-depth technical film analysis. And I think that's important to, to get that perspective and to hear you know, the X's and O's and the more complicated uh, scheme aspects of the game, rather than just limiting myself to consuming all the statistical analyses. Do you think that since you've become more involved or you look more at the numbers with NFL, has that increased your enjoyment you get from the game? No, it's done the opposite, to be honest. Not, not drastically so, but I get more frustrated, I would say, now watching football. Um, and when I see suboptimal decisions, particularly 
with the Chiefs, I think it uh, frustrates me more than it did before. Because while I might have had that kind of gut feeling before, like this this doesn't seem right, this shouldn't be the most efficient thing to do. And now I, I know it to be quantified and to be pretty pretty well proven. And so I think I get more frustrated now. And actually, the I think the most frustrating thing is listening to the commentators. I think a lot of times it's made me realize why fans believe the things they do, even if they're not backed up by any data, because in every football game, you'll hear the commentator say uh, the most frustrating thing I've heard was one of the chiefs games. It was against the lions, the, the, the game that we won in week four and Matthew Stafford, the lions quarterback was just destroying us through the passing game. They gained like 66 yards and three plays through the air. And then the lions did a four or five yard run. And the commentator goes, if you're the Chiefs defensive coordinator, you're not worried about all that passing game. You're worried about that run right there and trying to stop that because the, the run games, you know, important to control the clock. And, and I don't remember exactly how he explained it, but that just was infuriating to hear. Um, and, and I think sets back a lot of the work that the NFL analytics community is doing by making, making comments like that, that the five yards through the ground is more important than the 60 plus through the air. So, you know, I'd, I'd love to say that this stuff has made me enjoy the game more. Um, it's made me enjoy Twitter more and it's made me enjoy maybe the time I spend thinking about football outside of watching it. But I think watching it, I enjoy a little less. And for people at home that want to reach out to you or read your content, what's the best way to do it and how do they get in touch? Yeah. So at Chiefs Analytics on Twitter, it's, it's the best way to reach out to me. I'm, I'm on Twitter far more than I should be. And I'm, I'm always answering any, any direct message someone sends me or anytime they, they tag me or, or mention me in a tweet and have a question. So I think that's the best way um, to get in touch. You can also reach out on Arrowhead Pride. If you read any of my longer form stuff and have a question, feel free to leave a comment there. And yeah, it's the best way to reach me. And always, always happy to answer any questions. As I mentioned, you know, when I came into this, I didn't know anything about sports analytics. Um, and so I'm, I'm always happy. To, and a lot of people took the time to help me. And so I'm always happy to do the same for anyone else. Well, thank you very much for taking the time out to talk to me today, Ethan. I had a lot of fun and I hope you did as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. 